0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fregan, here on the Nachum Segal Network, nachumsegal.com, and around the world, on our Sheva, Israel, national news slash radio. I want to thank our sponsor for 2016, the S4 Group. S4 has a very informative weekly newsletter on politics and policy. I urge you to subscribe. Go to s4grp.com, scroll down, and you'll find it. And as everybody knows, this week was Super Tuesday, March 1st, where the primary season really starts. The individual states are gone, and we had a cornucopia of delegates that were won on Tuesday by leading, obviously, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Uh, Bernie Sanders still trying to nip at Clinton's heels, but looks like it's going to be unsuccessful. And then the Republican side is an absolute mess, and if it wasn't anybody else by Donald, but Donald Trump, we would say... We have a future nominee, but because it is him, and we're going to discuss that here on this show, uh, and we've devoted, we're going to continue to devote a lot of time to him, because it is him, people are not so sure. Will they be able to support Trump? There are already prominent Republicans saying they will not vote for him in the, elec- in the general. They will not vote for him in the primary. They will not vote for him in the general. What will happen? And More. We'll try to discuss today so that uh, our audience out there can kind of understand the angst within the Republican Party and how it moves forward with Donald Trump as the front runner and presumptive, I will say that, presumptive nominee of the party. But I want to welcome, in addition to that, our first guest, going to talk briefly, briefly, because it's a really important issue that people are not focusing on enough, is the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement that is growing, gaining steam on college campuses. Some of the most Anti-hostile to Israel campuses, uh, college campuses are here in New York State. We had issues in Brooklyn College and Vassar College. Uh, today, uh, I learned that Columbia University, uh, 40 professors signed in, for, as in to celebrate Israel Apartheid Week. They are signing on to a boycott, divestment, sanctions resolution. So here to talk about it is Jeff Balabon from the American Center for Law and Justice, who also did a press conference this past weekend with uh, some Republican state senators Jeff, welcome back to Spin Class.
1: Hi, Michael. Good morning. Good to be here.
0: Okay, so good morning to you. So let's talk for a second about the boycott divestment sanctions movement. Uh, You're active uh, on that front. And is this just a failure on the part of the organized Jewish community, the pro-Israel community, or are the college campuses just so hostile to anything having to do with uh, well, I don't know anything. Any uh, hostile to anything that deals with a right wing issue. I don't know why Israel is specifically a right wing issue, but are they so, are they so left that it's almost impossible to avoid this BDS controversy?
1: Well, there's no question that there's uh, blame to go around on all sides. We, when I say we, overall the establishment uh, Jewish community has unfortunately simultaneously. Argued against BDS, but embraced the underlying narrative that supports BDS. And that's promoting part of the problem. I mean, it's impossible to point at the organized Jewish community as the source of this problem, but it certainly is not effective in combating it. Now, you know, also start with some other point, which is as long as we're debating BDS, we're losing. Israel cannot win a debate about BDS. Israel can simply lose less or lose less quickly. And to me, the, the this fundamental problem in the way we fight these issues. Organized Jewish community is to consistently play defense, while the enemies of Israel and the enemies of the Jewish people are very, very agile and very aggressive. When they're playing offense. They well, have what the would, truth what to would, tell. They have lies to tell.
0: Jeff, what would a win mean as opposed to losing less? I mean, they define that for a second.
1: Sure. So right now, it is the uh, take. For example, the the uh, official position of the consensus organization that's supposed to carry the message about what, what it means to stand for Israel, APAC, And they're, on their website, they continue to stand strongly, that's their adjective, for, um, for adverb. so they stand strongly for uh, a two-state solution. Now, a two-state solution means we're standing for the proposition that the Palestinians deserve to have a state, or that Arabs deserve, deserve to have their own state in Judea and Samaria. That idea was anathema until the late 90s, early 2000s. During the Oslo process, no one stood for the idea that there should be a Palestinian state. The Americans didn't stand for it. The Israelis didn't stand for it. And yet now, for some reason, the AIPAC is pushing that idea. Well, if we're pushing the idea that there needs to be a Palestinian state, then by definition we're giving fuel to the fire that Israel is somehow oppressing or holding back such a state. What I mean to play, So you can only lose that kind of a fight. The way you win is to go back to first principles, which is, Israel is America's ally. We stand for Israel as the one country in the world which was created to protect Jews, which was needed to protect Jews, and that any concept of possibly configuring some kind of a state for Arabs is contingent and is only for the purpose of securing the safety of Jews, not for some kind of mythical uh, self-determination for a non-existent national group that simply came into being as a a way to beat up on Jews in Israel. Trying to win is to reverse the narrative and actually remind people of the truth. That's the whole idea of the was only if it would give peace and security to the Jews in Israel, and it's not. And so we have to start fighting against the two-state solution as opposed to keep on going down the same path, which leads to disruption.
0: So this past uh, week, and I watched the video. Was actually uh, I was there in person. I gave a, some very good remarks about legislation now pending in the New York State Legislature. On BDS. And I was shocked when the next day, in response to that, I saw a Long Island assemblyman by the name of Chuck Levine talk about BDS legislation as being un American or fighting BDS as being un American because you're stifling free speech. Uh, can you address that for a second? Because, I mean, that's un American?
1: Sure. <laughs> Again, it's quite the opposite. The argument against, uh, the argument in, in, in favor of protecting BDS is it's free speech. And the truth is, we do have a long tradition of protecting free speech. But in reality, as opposed to, theoretically, the way BDS operates, is to squelch the free speech of pro-Israel students, it's to squelch, uh, it's not just that, but to actually attack students. And, and you mentioned this before, Michael, in your intro, so let's address that. BDS is not simply an international movement to affect Israel financially. BDS, in its practical effect is a movement of anti-Semitism that is hurting American students. You mentioned American universities, three out of the top ten most anti-Semitic campuses in America have been deemed to be right in New York State, where the most Jews live outside of Israel. And the fact is that, that, that these issues, the, the treatment of Jews, Jews are being barred from uh, holding positions on student councils, Jews are being told they can't ask questions in class, Jews are being told they can't attend certain classes. That's what BDS. That's not free speech. That's excluding Jews from the marketplace of ideas. So, it's, it's, they, as always, the left, the bad the guys, they adopt the language of freedom and rights, but they're using it to squelch freedom and rights.
0: We have to get into the issue here of the Republican Party. Okay, there are prominent Republicans. I heard Dan Senor, I heard uh, Senator uh, uh, Sass from uh, Nebraska. Um, um, Others, I mean, incredible vehement criticism for Chris Christie for endorsing Donald Trump. There are people who are saying, I absolutely will not vote for Donald Trump. Christian Todd Whitman, the former uh, governor of New Jersey. And there's a whole movement now, I guess, finally, possibly, whatever is going on, to stop Donald Trump. People woke up all of a sudden. Uh, What is going on? Is this a fracturing of the Republican Party? Can it be done from your perspective and also, the foreshad- I'm sorry. The backdrop here is CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, coming up in, uh, uh, actually started already, in Washington. And conservatives from around the country are going to be gathering there. Uh, it's interesting, if you go back to Trump's, uh, Trump's speech from last year, uh, you know, it was kind of his introductory speech, and he said, we're going to take our country back. Uh, in a way, you know, to a certain degree, he's kind of done that for a certain demographic. So what do you see is going on now? Where do you see things going vis-a-vis the Republican uh, primaries, as specifically with regard to Donald Trump?
1: Right. I'm actually here in Washington for CPAC, and we'll be speaking uh, in CPAC later today uh, on a panel discussing the state of our alliances in the United States and, and sort of where we are, thanks to Barack Obama. And the question of Donald Trump certainly plays into that, which is where would we go if Donald Trump were the president? So the first thing to, to really acknowledge is that what Donald Trump has done brilliantly is he's turned a, a significant chunk of the Republican Party into liberals. Every, everything he stands for, there's nothing conservative that he stands for, everything he stands for is liberal. And what's interesting is that the, the, you know, the, the left loves identity politics. That's what Democrats excel at. It's dividing people by race and gender and ethnicity, and dividing conquer by, by just lining up those groups what Donald Trump has done, it seems to be, is appeal to white supremacists. So, Republicans don't because they're supremacists, and the Democrats don't like them because they're white. Democrats prefer other uh, minority groups or other groups to, uh, to focus on. But but the idea of, of separating into identity politics is they truly leftist idea, and he's brought it over into at least some segments of the Republican Party. Uh, does, does he break Republicanism? You know, it's very hard to call where this is going to go going forward. It is It is Devastating that so many evangelicals have been supporting Trump. Uh, if, if Trump could, and, and, and to me, the biggest indicator of Trump knowing that that's part of his base is why like he premises, is that he refuses the, the softest of softballs. You notice in the debates how all the other Republicans tried to drop Israel as often as they could, on, it, it or to bring it up in the debate, drop the name Israel show their bona fides, show must they love Israel. That has nothing to do with the Jews in America. That has everything to do with where the evangelical base or the base of the Republican Party is, which is to say there's the single most powerful force for pro-Israel activism in the world. And so they're, they're, they're trying to get the Republican Party base based on Israel. Trump has avoided it studiously. When asked about it, he avoids it. I mean, there's so many ways he can embrace it, and yet he won't do it. Similarly, you know, the, the whole drama that played out when he was asked about the KKK and David Duke, and it's the a Took a day and a half or two days before he finally got around to disavowing him because he was getting too much heat. But all of a sudden, he didn't know what the KKK was. So Trump is playing very much to that to that, that core of his base because it's a subset of a subset. The question is: Is it really where he stands, or is he you know, the consummate uh, tactician? And that's what he needs to become the, uh, the the party's candidate. And then hopefully, he's not quite as bad as that. And that's the hope we have to hold on to. Um, I, it, there's nobody knows what I'm inside of that man, Ted. He's not, uh, a typical politician. And so, uh, what I find interesting is there are large segments of the Jewish population, the Orthodox population, who seem to love Trump. I'm not sure on what that's based. It's incredible. He hasn't incredible. said anything publicly, that's for sure. All right? It is incredible. He hasn't done anything publicly to give anybody hope. And it's fearful. That said, it's hard to imagine he'd be worse than Hillary Clinton. It would be hard to imagine he'd be worse than Hillary on domestic or foreign issues. The problem is he didn't have to as much of a choice on those issues in the coming election.
0: Yeah, it's just it's – truly, it's truly astounding when I encounter people who tell me that they're pro-Trump and I ask them because I'm curious, not because I want to debate them, but I'm curious as to what the thinking is of somebody who says either you don't believe when he – you don't believe any word he comes out of his mouth on foreign policy because it's totally incoherent or you do believe him and you just don't care that much. Because you're just attracted to the, I don't know, the the, the persona. Uh, because, But whatever it is, I can't understand how people in the pro-Israel community can be attracted to it. And I'm wondering, Ashley, you anticipated my question, but is this a potential rupture amongst core conservatives or amongst Christian conservatives uh, as far as their affinity for uh... the state of israel and for their pro-israel uh... affinity is does trump present that problem
1: i don't think so i think that he has a substantial uh... i think that all of the, the you know sort of the, the caricature that, that people like to play the identity politicians like to play on the left which is that you know we're all about uh, our minority identities so we're protecting from the big bad white guys who, who want to rule, rule the world in the republican party you know, he has that tiny segment that that represents that on the right. It's a very small segment, um, and he, I think he's trying to preserve it because, when all is said and done, he seems like a, a freight train. But it's not as though he's dominating um, in numbers. I mean, he still never goes yeah, above mid, mid thirty his, So fine, so fine. It's a third. That means the sixty five percent isn't there. So even if you split his number in two, half of him is you know, half of them are are white So you'd have. Uh, who are not friendly to Israel or to Jews? So you have, uh, you know, fifteen twenty percent, let's say. So he needs them. He needs them. But the party doesn't really need them to be successful, and in fact, it could be kind of productive in the general election. And that's part of the fear. And at the same time, the RNC is thrilled that uh, that more and more voters are coming out for uh, primaries than, than normal, and they feel that, that that that's a good sign for election day. That's unclear that that will translate when it's about Trump outside of that thirty five percent.
0: I totally understand we you're getting. We're out of time for this segment. Jeff Balbaum for the American yeah. Center for Law and Justice. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, clearly there's there's a problem. But let, you'll let us know how CPAC goes. Uh,
1: absolutely. Good talking to you.
0: Likewise. And this is Spin Class. I don't want to welcome back to the show. Actually, last week I said we're going to have Noam Newsner on again to continue our conversation because I thought his analysis of the current state of the Republican Party was so spot on. That we decided we're going to have him on again that, this week. And specifically, I want to point to an article on the forward from Tuesday, March 1st. That was Super Tuesday, as, as we know. How Republican Jews utterly failed to prevent the rise of toxic Donald Trump. And I'm not sure. We'll have to find out from Noam exactly if he's pointing a finger, he's not pointing a finger, or not. But the title itself Mm. and the article is so intriguing that we had to talk about it this week. Noam, welcome back to Spin Class.
2: Great to be here, Michael. Thank you for having me.
0: Okay, so as you know, we've discussed. It's obvious there's turmoil going on. Uh, Ben Carson is saying he will not continue to debate, although he might continue his campaign, which I'm a little bit. Mitt Romney is going to speak. About the race, CPAC is going on, Donald Trump is all over the place, and you're pointing the finger at Republican Jews as uh, something. Is there some fault on the part of Republican Jews with regard to the, camp, the campaign and the rise of Donald Trump?
2: Well, I don't. I, you know, it's interesting. The headline, is, as they, as you know, is always chosen by the editors, so and I'm just going to let them exercise editorial judgment on those kinds of things. I think I think Republican Jews are like Republican leaders um, as a whole. We have to take stock of what it is that we did or didn't do that led to um, such a huge number of our voters welcoming uh, Donald Trump as their as the, the you know the new potentially the, the presidential candidate of the party. Uh, I think it's safe to say that a lot of us are unhappy about that, but we express our unhappiness and, and just go away, or do we look at what it, what it was that led to this situation?
0: Interesting. So I I think you have a great paragraph in there, if I could just read it out loud, if you don't mind. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Sure. But you just talked about the America that we have long admired and championed of open opportunity where a person could rise to the level of energy, effort, and moxie. That's, a, that's an America that a lot of people don't recognize, and they believe Republicans have stopped fighting for it. Which is interesting, because you know, we mm-hmm. talk about the deck being stacked, the crony capitalism, the angst of so many voters in the middle class, and if you believe that the Republican Party is just filled with fat cats who get rich on your dime, then you're going to be very anti-establishment, I would imagine.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's a sense that that we're impotent, The Republican leadership in Washington is impotent uh, to get done some of the things that should have gotten done. Uh, And, you know, needless to say, it it doesn't take much to you know, scan across the, the, you know, the state of America, the state of the American economy, particularly when you get off the coast and you get away from the big cities and you get away from those big pockets of wealth and, and, and investment and you look at where Americans really live, and things are very tough. Um, there, there's a good sense that much of the country is in some state of economic recession and certainly macro decline. You know, there is this massive problem with heroin and opioid addiction, is a significant issue with regard to fatherlessness and uh, and marriage, you know, and, and child, you know, having child children out of marriage. Um, that that the the social indicators of this country are really poor, um, and you know, the, there there are many many reasons that that is the case, and it doesn't always spring from Washington. But the fact of the matter is, people are looking for for leadership, and they're looking for ideas, and they're looking for fresh approaches. And while we may have offered some of those things. They don't feel that we're actually fighting for it, that we're actually doing it, that we're willing to actually sacrifice meaningfully. And, and when you get right down to it, there's a lack of energy uh, that, that people perceive in the Republican leadership in Washington, um, which is un- extremely unfortunate, because I happen to know there's a lot of anger and a lot of energy inside Republican uh, elected leaders in Washington. But just, they just aren't connecting with their base of voters, and Trump is. And I think we have to acknowledge at the core, that if we're not succeeding with people who should be voting for for standard barriers of the Republican Party, the voters are not wrong. It's, it's We are doing something wrong. We all are not doing something right. But, you know, as they say in business, the customer is always right. And you have to listen to your customers. And our customers right now are saying, I'm not buying what you're selling.
0: But why the Republican Jews? Why the Jews... You know why are we looking at the leadership? I mean, I, and I've—I guess you could look at—I would imagine—just uh—just I'm is that the rep- leadership of the Republican Jewish Coalition is probably devoid of Trump of many Trump supporters? Yet uh, I was yet I think Fred Zeidman and others were quoted. As being willing to accept a Trump presidency, I think Fred Simon, who was in the Washington Post or, where, or the journal, wherever it was said, "Well, I'm certainly not going to get on the bad side of whoever becomes the president. So is there a <laughs> sense of resignation? I mean, where are we going with where are you going with this with the narrative exactly as well, far as that's,
2: that, that gets to, yeah, that gets to the heart of your the front end of your question. Why are we talking about Republican Jews Let me matter? Like right. what's the big difference? We're really such a small minority of the, of the Republican Party, and certainly even of our own community. The truth of the matter is you could argue that, and, and you could say, look, we, you know, we probably attach more significance to ourselves than we deserve. But I'm actually am not so sure about that. I, mean, I think that re, the Republican, Republican Jews, um, they typically are uh, Republicans um, in the first generation or maybe the second generation. That is to say they were raised in Democratic households. So we understand what it means to come over from the other side. We know that there's intellectual bankruptcy in the Democratic Party, particularly in the modern liberal movement. We also know, perhaps more than, more than a lot of people understand, that, you know, America offers incredible opportunities to people who are willing to work hard and invest and save and do the kinds of things that people do when they come from a community that never had much or didn't have much and is able to see wealth and prosperity. You know, the Republican Jew, Jewish leadership that I know is typically very entrepreneurial. We we really appreciate and understand the the core of what it is that America's business climate allows us to do when it when it works best. And you know, frankly, I think you know we understand that Republican leadership um, of you know, this country leads America to be a better leader in the world. You know, it's not just about the U.S.-Israel relationship, although that's very important. About the fact that America should stand up for freedom, it should stand up for free trade, it should stand up for free people. You know that if you know we are not the only ones in the Republican Party who advocate for these things.
1: We're hardly the only ones
2: who advocate for these kinds of things, but we do appreciate them uniquely. And I think as a result, we have a we we we, are, we should be near the, the heart of the party. And if we're and if we are somehow detached from the heart of the party, then we have to look at where the party is, what's going on, what have we missed. Why are we feeling that we're, that we're the ones being abandoned? You know, the fact of the matter is a lot of Trump voters, they feel the party's abandoned them. And what's very important for you to understand, and this is really critical, because Trump right now is politically is a force. Who knows whether he actually gets the nomination? It looks that way. There are lots of ways that you could slice it in a different way and may not be so good for him. But the truth of the matter is he is a political force. He's attracting more voters to our primaries, which, is, which I assume to mean been attracting more voters to the Republican Party as a whole. You know, there's, there's, if there's resignation, the resignation is because they feel that maybe he's, he's actually politically not so bad. I think that's a bad bargain to make. I'm not at all fit in favor of running a, a candidate who who is uh, irresponsible, somehow odious in any respect. And I certainly hope that Donald Trump isn't that. But if he is, then we got a problem, and we can't get behind somebody who has those characteristics. And what's more is that if we, if we do get behind somebody with those characteristics, it demonstrates that we have no credibility in picking leaders for our party. It means we'll just take whoever's the winner in any given election. And I don't think we should take the winner in any given election. I mean, it doesn't mean that we have to accept it. We might have to legally accept it, but we don't have to actually morally accept it. And I, I'm certainly not in favor of morally accepting Donald Trump as the leader of the political party that I've found as a home all my life.
0: Uh, this is Spin Class, and we're talking to Noam Newsner, communications professional, senior official in the Bush Forty Three White House, and taking a little bit of analysis of the state of the Republican Party post Super Tuesday, post presumptive nominee Donald Trump. And Noam, what do you make? You know, and I know you, no obligation your part to defend him or attack him either way, but you know, one of the most puzzling political moves of the, over the last week, and there have been quite a few, has been the Christie endorsement of Donald Trump. And as a long-time politico, I mean, what do you make of that? I mean, Christie just... He just blew people away with this decision, even his own staff, from what I understand.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I wouldn't want to guess what's hard and what's in his mind on it. Um, you know, endorsements at this point, at this level, usually... Um, you know, usually are 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 either done out of pure conviction or out of out of a pure sense of calculation. Um there's rarely a uh, a mix of the two. Um I would say that this is probably more calculated than conviction because Christy before this uh had, had been a fairly regular critic of um of Mr Trump and a variety of fronts. But you never know. You never know. And um and while I you know, I, I, I guess that it, it gave uh, Trump some respectability that he had lacked before, um, I'm not so sure that um, that it didn't uh, cost um, Chris Christie something in, in its own right. And I think um, I think we'll see whether whether if Donald Trump is indeed the you know the candidate, what does Chris Christie get out of it? We'll see. Um, but he certainly didn't win many friends back in in his home state.
0: Yeah, I got to imagine that there's got to be something waiting for him at the end of this rainbow. He better hope that Trump is actually the winner, because otherwise, it's you know there's not going to be a lot of people. I mean, his own you know Meg Whitman denounced him. Uh, I was watching his uh, you know senior strategist Mike Duhaime refuse to kind of go along with him, although obviously didn't condemn him. Um, No, um, let's just take for a second the uh, something you said, which I was kind of getting to with the Christie, because a similar type of personality, the danger that you uh, described of the dictator-type leanings of Trump. And Christie has a little bit of that as well. Um, and perhaps that was what attracted them to each other. But you 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 posit that that is one of the things that Jews should be most afraid of with regard to the ascension of the Trump phenomenon, that it's that uh, penchant for liking the dictators, liking Putin, et cetera. Mussolini.
2: Yeah, look, I mean... I- you know, Trump does admire people with a lot of power and and who use it ruthlessly. Uh, that's been that's been abundantly clear. Um, I myself am deeply skeptical of people with a lot of power and who use it ruthlessly and 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 um, and do so without regard to uh, the will of the people, the will of the governed. Um, I tend to be a small government person, and I think the Jew- Jewish communities around the around the world and throughout history have been well-served by by living in societies where where there are limits on on the power of the of the government when there are limits on the power of the state where there are certainly limits on the power of the individual king or, or prime minister or president such as they may be um, you know whenever we've lived in societies which have dictatorships uh, we've never we've never done terribly well and the reason is something that I think you know your, every, your listeners will appreciate is that you know Jews religiously we 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 do not observe that there is any power higher than the than the than the God who we we pray to, um, and and that makes dictators very jealous. And they they know that Jews are, are can be stubborn in that respect. We're not going to give up our our loyalty to the one and only God. Um, I know that you know in today's highly secularized society. Um, we, we may not be counted upon to be so uh, loyal to, uh, to, uh, our, you know, to, to our God, but I think the truth of the matter is that they, the dictators sense that, they sense that we have a higher moral calling. Um, I don't know whether I can, I can say that for sure that I, I do or you do or anyone else do, right. but, but historically that's been the case, and I think that's, um, you know, what troubles me about Trump is that he's extremely fond of people who, who wield power ruthlessly. And without any care for the uh, the will of the governed, he used the you know he used the uh, eminent domain to to uh, the powers of eminent domain to have uh, property seized for him for his personal private development. He used the bankruptcy courts to uh, rid himself of uh, owners' debt, uh, which is legal. But again, it's it's a it's a, it's a, it's a use of government to um, to absolve oneself of personal responsibilities for things that, that one one should be doing. Sure. Uh, no, you know, let me let, that let me. Been,
0: let, yeah. let me pose the question to you. Will, would you vote for Donald Trump in the general election? Other Republicans have said no, they wouldn't, prominent Republicans. What would Noam Newsner do?
2: Yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't worked it out all out of my mind, but um, I would find it very difficult to vote for him, uh, but I would probably just simply withhold my vote on the, on, that, on the presidential ticket and just vote Republican down ticket.
0: I hear. Okay, Noam Newsner, communications strategist, former uh, part of the jeb bush campaign as well as the george w bush white house thanks for joining us here on spin class for the second part of our interview and really appreciate your coming back and telling us about what you why you wrote what you wrote in the forward this week
2: thank you for having me i'll talk to you soon
0: and this is spin class wrapping up another week of political talk stay tuned for jew in the city speaks here on the nachem siegel network